Dear Lord, you promised your spirit of love and peace and happiness. And you even wanted a few burritos thrown in. We thank you for all those things, the goodness, the goodness that you have for us. Thank you for that. Please be with us now the way you are, and even more so than any other time of the day, any other time of the week. But we want to experience now in a real meaningful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I I have a question for you. Have any of you ever had an experience, a moment, where God reached down and touched you personally in some supernatural, unexpected way? Leonard? Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. You know, I've asked this question and it's surprising how many people have an experience that they talk about they describe where God reached down and touched you personally Um, I had one I'm going to tell you about it now see it was 15 years ago February 8 2006 you remember those days those days are important to you But that was the day Victoria had been told, you have an interior parietal occipital lobe, left-sided brain tumor that's probably malignant, and we're we're going to take it out. Sierra Vista, Dr. Kissel. And we waited, and we waited. Finally, they said, we're done. Yes, it does look malignant. She's in the ICU. You can see her when she's ready. We waited. We waited. Ivor Myers was there. He was there to encourage us. We finally, they let us in to see Victoria. You know, pre, before the surgery, we must have been naive or something. We must have been, I don't know, out of touch because Victoria was smiling and she was so courageous. And the lady next to her, just having back surgery, and she's sobbing and just having a meltdown. And I'm like, that girl has got guts. But when we saw her in the ICU, it was jaws dropped to the floor. Even Ivor was like, and that's, you know, Ivor usually has something to say. So it was like looking at Victoria and she's saying, I can't see. And she's waving her right arm. I can't feel. She bangs her right arm on the rail as she swings it and the pain is a jolt to her that she doesn't expect and she cries, cries out. And we're like, what did they do to Victoria? What did they do? Ivor said a brief prayer and we beat a retreat out of there. You know, you're not supposed to hang out in the ICU. And that was one time we thought it was a good idea. Um, By the way, they taught her how to walk 
again in the ICU. And I told the surgeon, in six weeks, she'll be riding her bicycle. And he's like, eh. In four weeks, she was riding her bicycle around the, the yard. Hang in there, it's going to get better. That's the lesson I take out of that. But what happened that night is, couldn't sleep, tossing and turning, as you'd expect. And I saw something. In the middle of the night, opened my eyes, looked up, right on the wall. There it is. I can see it in my mind. It's a bright white light, but it's soft. It's not glaring. It's a white light. It's, the whole wall is lit up. Well, there's a neighbor across from us. Uh, he has a barn. The light shines in. But wait a second. There's, there's trees between us and them. Well, in the middle of the white light is a big black cross right there. I close my eyes. I wonder if that's real. Open them again. Still there. Stayed there with me the whole night. I thought maybe if the trellis is causing uh, it's the, the light shining. No, the trellis isn't shaped like a cross. It was an event that I decided in that moment, it doesn't matter if it's real or if it's supernatural, it means to me that God has been there. He knows what it's like. He knows what it means to suffer. He has been there. He's done that. And He knows what it feels like for us to go through what we're going through. And I'm grateful for that. But you know, I've just felt like it's been 15 years now. Why did God message me with a cross? Why did He do it? I mean, you know, <clears throat> okay, God has a right to do it whatever the way he wants, but why couldn't he have just done a Twitter feed on the wall? Steve, it's going to be okay. Victoria will be riding her bicycle in four weeks, and don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. Why did God message with a cross? I mean, if you saw a cross, what would you say? What would you think? What does that cross mean to you? What does it mean to you? I mean, we could just stop here and ask each person what the cross means to you, and I think that would be a pretty interesting church service, personally. You're stuck with me. Um, what I did is come up with three conclusions. Actually, I have ten, but I wanted to limit it to three. Three and you're free. We'll be done. Just three reasons why Jesus had to die. What that cross means to me. Here's the three reasons. One, God is in the healing business. Not the punishment business. God is in the healing business. 
too. You, you cannot live. You can't live without love. I'm not talking about beetles, you know, needing love. All you need is love. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that unselfish, self-sacrificing, patient, gentle kindness that would do anything to make your life better. I'm talking about that's the kind of love that you've got to have to live. And the third thing is is that only loving kindness heals. Only loving kindness heals. That's the only thing that heals. Well, how do you get to uh, that kind of conclusion? The first thing you might notice is, Steve, you're obviously not a scholar. You're not a scholar, are you? Hmm. You didn't use one shun word. What's a shun word? Mark, you're always a step ahead of me. What's a shun word? A shun word is a word you shun? Uh, Substitution. Satisfaction. Oh, here's a good one. Propitiation. How about expiation? Justification. There's a lot of shun words. Steve, you didn't use one shun word. What's the deal? It's because you're not a scholar. So I figured, okay, I'm not a scholar, but I'm going to go to the master. Google. went to the master and I found out something really interesting. A little odd, but really interesting. The scholars love to use shun words. They use them a lot. That was the first thing that surprised me. The second thing that kind of was a shocker is that it seemed like the scholars on this point tended to all agree. All the Christian scholars seem to agree in their use of the shun words. Well, you know, I thought about 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's see. Yeah, 1 Peter chapter 1. Even, you know the verse, even the angels long to look into the meaning of the suffering of Christ. So I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. The angels longed for a deeper understanding and everybody else seems to be kumbaya on this one. What's the deal? Okay, uh, speaking of shockers, I, I have another shocker for you. By the way, Don, I loved your, I loved your message today. I'm so, so glad you guys are back. But I digress. <laughs> there was a shocker. Last Sabbath, Victoria and I went to Mass. 
How many of Elsa went to Mass last Sabbath? Oh man, not a... So there's one. Thank you, Victoria. Well, I mean, Mark Christ has a new job at the San Miguel Mission, and we wanted to see what Mark was up to. So we went to Mass with Mark. Something happened there that really impressed me. They did communion. We had done communion last Sabbath, and they were doing communion as well. And the people were lining up to take the wafer. And as the wafer was handed to each person, the priest said, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. And he was saying that, I leaned over to Victoria. She's shorter shorter than me. And I said, <laughs> she's, she's tall in stature in my perspective, though. I said to Victoria, people have fought and died over that very moment, right there, what we're seeing. People have fought and died over that. Well, it's a shun word, right? It's transubstantiation. The priest was changing the wafer into the body of Christ. Did you know a guy named Thomas Cranmer? The Archbishop of Canterbury had the gall to say that that was cannibalism. It's the body of Christ. It's human flesh. You're it's like eating a human. It's cannibalism. You know what happened to Thomas? He had a really bad day. Queen Mary, also known by some as Bloody Mary, in the Counter-Reformation decided that Thomas Cramner, for his heresy, would be burned at the stake. Okay, so I asked myself, He would die over a wafer. I don't think I would actually go that far over a wafer. What is it that I would draw the line in the sand over? Where is that line in the sand? No further. Wouldn't it be the most important act the one predicted by all the prophets, as Peter says. That's great sacrifice. Wouldn't that be the thing? If you were going to draw a line in the sand and say, not me, wouldn't that be the place? So this was a red flag. There seemed to be so much agreement. Yet, and it seemed to be so important. So what do you do? Well, I didn't go to Google on this one. I opened the Word. You know what was interesting? A lot of it was already there. It was already there. Think of, think of um, 
the text. Just start running them through your head. John 10.10. We had John 10.10 on our t-shirts in medical school. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Think of John 16.26. The Father Himself loves you. How about Romans 5.8? God proves His love for us while we were yet sinners. These are famous texts. Can you build an understanding of the cross on these, these texts that we've learned since we were kids? I mean, John's 3.16. Who doesn't know that? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. He gave His only Son. He gave because He loved this world. And I looked at a text in 1 John 1.6 that's become a favorite. God is light. 1 John 1.6, God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. What does that mean? God is light and no darkness. Well, then I stumbled onto Colossians 1.13. Let's take a look at that. Do you have a Bible? Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Who's He? Verse 12 says it's the Father. The Father has delivered us from the power of darkness. The Father has delivered us from the power of darkness. Well, what's the darkness? I know that night with Victoria, it seemed pretty dark. You know when you're depressed, when you're run down, things seem pretty dark. Is that what we're talking about? Is that what this is? Let's keep reading in Colossians. Let's look at verse 21. This is kind of shocking. And you... No, I need to point the fingers this way. And you... were once alienated and enemies, where? In your mind. Wait a second. I've got to read this again. You were once alienated and enemies in your mind, but now you've been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Okay, so... God rescued us from darkness. The darkness is that in our mind, we thought God was an enemy. Well, no, that's not, no. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Because that's got to apply to the people not attending church. That has to apply to the wicked, right? Right? 
We don't think of God as an enemy. Does anybody think of God as an enemy? So how does this text apply to me? You were once alienated and enemies in your mind. That's the darkness. So let's keep looking. If you run into a tough spot in the Bible, just keep looking. Keep looking. Keep looking. Keep digging. So we're going to go to the grand daddy of all prophecies. This, I, I read this prophecy to Victoria this week, and it, it seemed like she had never heard it before. She was like, wow, is that in the Bible? Isaiah 53. The suffering servant. <clears throat> We're going to look at Isaiah 53, verse 4. I'll read it to you. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What does esteemed mean? Esteemed? Is that what you do to your vegetables? Esteemed is like to think, consider, right? Anybody agree? Esteemed is consider, right? We thought that the suffering servant was struck by God, afflicted. We thought God was punishing the suffering servant. We thought he was punishing. We thought, but by his stripes were healed. God's in the healing business, not the punishment business. Okay, all right. Um, let's go back to the scholars. I'm going to read what I read this week from a scholar, or I was going to read it. This is from G.E. Ladd. Dr. Ladd says, Men are ethically sinful, and what God counts their trespasses against them, he must view them as sinners, as enemies. We thought God was our enemy. Dr. Ladd said God must count their trespasses against them, and he must view them as enemies. Well, you'll be relieved to know that Dr. Ladd is a Baptist minister. It doesn't, doesn't help. You'll be relieved to know he also teaches immortality of the soul, eternally burning hell, Sunday sacredness. Doesn't help. What really doesn't help is that that quote is used in the book, the 27th-day Adventist Believe, an exposition of the 27 fundamental beliefs. God views us as our enemy? We thought that's a prophecy. It's a prophecy of of what we would be taught 
that God is required to view us as an enemy. But God's in the healing business, not the punishment business. Well, Steve, I know some people that really need punishment. What about that? And God better be punishing them. I'll tell you what. You want punishment? You do it the way Paul punished them. Because there is a place of punishment. It's right here. It's right now. And if you don't have some protection, that punishment's coming. But don't blame God when it happens. Don't blame God when it happens. You see, the reason I say that is because You can't live without love. You cannot live without love. There's actually a scientist. By the way, is Laura Bate here today? She would love this. There's a scientist who, he called himself a scientist, but his name was Harry Harlow. It was in the 30s. He thought he would do a science experiment, and he took rhesus monkeys and he separated the babies from their mothers. The babies were taken and put in, in a separate cage, and those poor babies, all they had was a terry cloth mother. But there was no food source on the terry cloth mother. There was a wire mesh that had a food source. So the baby monkeys would, they'd cling to the terry cloth mother and then run over and get some food and then come back and cling to them separated from their mother. Their mother. That's science. Well, Harry Harlow showed that those little babies were complete emotional wrecks, dysfunctional, unable to cope with any sort of stress, and totally unable to be mothers themselves. See, you see, if we pull back, if you pull back from love, you pull back from God's love, the further you get, the worse it's going to get. And it's going to get ugly. We've all been there and done that. But there's something else in the cross. What happens if God pulls back. That's different. You know, it's in that prophecy. Isaiah 53. It's right there. Isaiah 53, verse 8. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was cut off. You know, you can take a good concordance and look up that word cut off. And what I'm told, I'm not a scholar, but what I'm told is that word cut off is the same word that King Xerxes used to describe what would happen to Queen Vashti because she refused to keep his commandment. 
In fact, if you look at the whole first chapter of Esther, you have a description of the great controversy in God's action. Because Queen, the King Xerxes set decrees. Vashti will never enter my presence again. She's to be removed from my presence. What happens when God removes, when he cuts off the connection? What happens when God gets distant from us and his love? You see, God's love is the oxygen to our souls. God's presence is the water of life. God's presence is the food that sustains us. He's the blueberry pancakes on a Sunday morning. (laughs) You can't live without love. You can't do it. You don't want to be a religionist? How's that working out for you? You do want to be a religionist? Then tell me. Tell me what God's love is like. Tell me what that cross means. What does it mean to you? Because only loving kindness heals. Okay, we did go to Mass, so I guess it's okay to make this confession time. Sort of fits. Um... I really wish I was telling this story about somebody else, like Dennis. But, I like Dennis, so I'm going to tell my own story. You see, Victoria's, the injury that she has suffered makes it hard for her. Sometimes... She gets injured. And if you care about somebody and somebody else is injured, you feel it. You feel it. And you know that pain and anger are kissing cousins? They're this close. You feel, you feel that pain. You see that pain. And it's like, oh, oh, oh. Victoria had gashed her shin. She was trying to clean the, the bathroom, the shower. She was trying to clean it up, try to have it look nice. We had some guests coming in for Airbnb. She was trying to get it really looking nice, and now there's blood all over the shower floor. And she's hurting. And So I mustered all the compassion and empathy and kindness that I could muster in the moment. And I said, good night, Victoria. You're a danger to yourself and others. Okay, that was a hard story to tell. I'm sorry. No, sorry doesn't cut it because the relationship is in meltdown mode. Don't tell me you're sorry. Show me you're kind. Well, fact is, I had a 95% kindness day. I was 95% kind. 
Okay, there was the 5%, yes. But people who are 95% kind, are they nice people? Is there anybody here who uh, is 100% kind? 95%. 50%. I feel like Abraham bargaining with God. 5%. Anybody here 5% kind? No, I know you're kind. I, I know most of you very well. You're all really kind. But it's only 100% kindness that heals. In fact, if you have an unkind moment, it's going to do a lot of damage. So I asked myself, how in the world did Jesus do it? How did he manage to have spikes driven down through his median nerve? How did he manage to have somebody standing in front of him? You know? It was punching him in the face. He was spitting on him, taunting him. He's probably a Democrat. Might have been a Republican. Didn't matter in the moment, it still hurt. They agree. How did Jesus not lose it? How did he do it? I just don't know anybody else. I don't know any humans that could do that. I don't know anybody. I know kind people, but I don't know people who could do that. Hundred percent kindness. It's the only thing that heals. But it seems so far out of reach. I, I see I want it, but it seems out of reach. How could we possibly make it to that point? It's in the prophecy. Isaiah he did it. He did it. He told us. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus is what is called our sin bearer. Sin bearer. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you want to know, you ask Jesus. Jesus explained it. He gave us a parable. The good shepherd. He's got 99 sheep. One of them wanders away. What does Jesus do? He looks. He looks and he finds that wandering sheep. Now, in the moment... When I told Victoria an unkind word, would you agree with me that was kind of wandering off the, uh, the road a pit? He finds the wandering sheep, and what does he do? Scoops them up, 
picks him up in his big strong arms, puts him on his shoulders and carries him home. That's what that means. You wandered and you slipped from 95% to 90% today. What do you do? Jesus will pick you up and say, Steve, get up. Go make it right. Do what you can and quit being unkind. Because how is that working for you? See, I want to be 100% kind. Because that's the only thing that heals. And Victoria needs a lot of healing. Name somebody who doesn't. Loving kindness is the only thing that heals and heals us completely. A hundred percent kindness. There's a favorite song. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. We're on the cusp of seeing the sky rolled back like a scroll, the trumpet blaring, and the heavenly host coming. What's going to keep us from being absolutely terrified on that day? We'll know God's in the healing business. It's not in the punishing business. We'll know only loving kindness heals us. And we'll know what God has done to demonstrate and show us that. So we'll be able to say, that's what we've been waiting for. Finally, healing has come. That day is here. I want that cross that I saw on the wall 15 years ago, I want it. I want it. I want it. And there's reasons for wanting, me wanting it. Do you want it? Do you want it? Yeah. Let's pray. Dear Lord, when you are lifted up, you will draw everyone to you. That cross, that cross, Lord, can mean so much to us because it's more than just a concept it's more than just a doctrine it's a teaching lord it's something that we need in our hearts to be healed completely so please lord let your sacrifice be real 
and meaningful and part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.